Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. I'm very willing to learn. I'm an eternal student. I just think it is wise to surround yourself with people that are doing the thing that you want to do, not paying someone that's never done what you want to do. If you invest, you're going to lose money. There, there is no one out there that is 100% perfect. But some of the biggest lessons come in losing. I'm okay losing a battle here and there. I just want to win the war, yeah. financial war. We could talk about gold. We could talk about silver. I think there's a place for both of those. I'm not anti either of those. I'm just pro as many different ways to protect against a devaluing dollar as you can. When you can replace time for money with assets that produce money, your time can then be spent in the areas that you're most passionate about. I don't have a desire to not work. I actually think that'd be really boring. I just have a desire to work exactly the way I want to. If, if the North Star is, is this fun? Will this be fun? Or am I just stuck in this rut of doing what I think I'm supposed to do? To me, I think you learn a lot about people's values in the way that they show up for their family. You know, move forward towards financial freedom and building a life that you desire by design, not by default. We're doing it, Justin. I get, I, I'm so excited. Again, this is kind of becoming a common theme for my listeners Hey, here's another guy I met in Austin who's amazing, and I get to share his genius with you. So, Justin Donnell, uh, thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to hang out. Uh, it's uh, it's fun just to uh, kind of collaborate here together, and you know, we, we've uh, gotten some good time the last few weeks, last three to four weeks, and so it's fun to actually put something together here. I know it seems like we kept finding ourselves together, whether it was at a workout here at my house or an event or mutual friends that we're gathering. So it's great that we finally was like, you know, we need to nail down this podcast. And one of the reasons I'm super excited to talk to you about this, uh, this topic investing in particular is because it's something that I know very well through my own experience, but I've found very little space in the podcast to talk about it. Cause I generally don't have people on that are as affluent in that conversation as you are. And so I'm excited to just learn from you as I have from your book, which we're going to talk about um, later on and your podcast. And, and I'm also excited to dig into Front Row Dads. Cool. A, the organization that you're a part of that I heard about, I want to say a couple of years ago, a friend of mine had shared a podcast that John did with, I believe it was John Berardi. It's just about how he was raising his kids. And I was like, whoa, there's something special here. So Definitely. I'm excited to dig into all that <laughs> stuff. I don't know in what order, but we're just going to let it unfold. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, could you share, give a little bit of context, um, your book, which I have here, The, the, the Lifestyle Investor, and it's the, the name of your podcast as well. We're going to dig deep into that. We're going to dig very deep into this. I want to know, uh, for the audience, give them a little snapshot of how this book came to life for you. Yeah, great question, Cal. So the way that this all kind of happened is interesting. It's not the normal path that I guess an author would take. And so I've had friends for years that have said, Justin, you need to write a book. You need to capture this. You need to teach people this. You need to create a course. You need to you know, have a mastermind, whatever. And I, I just kind of pushed back for a while. You know, I did, never looked at myself as an author. I was, you know, on my dreams list back in 2006, in October of 2006, I heard a message from a guy named Matthew Kelly, and it was a, a dreams list uh, type of message. Do you have a dreams list? And so I wrote this huge dreams list of everything I could think of. We're talking like hundreds of dreams because mm. the whole idea is have as many as you can and nothing's too small, nothing's too big. So one of the things I had on that list was write a book. So I knew at some point I would write a book, but I wasn't necessarily eager to write a book. I don't look at myself as an author who just sits down and can write a book. Uh, but one of my friends really 
he, he did a great service in the fact that he said, Justin, what if you died and your daughter never knew any of this stuff that you know, that you've been teaching and coaching people on the way that you've been investing? What if that just disappeared? And it was days later that I literally started writing this book. I think it was two days later that I wrote the first words to this book. And really it started as just kind of a, a legacy piece, a memoir of investment tips that I wanted to pass down to my daughter. And as the story evolved and as the content grew and as I reached out to people that I had consulted um, or coached in some capacity, more and more just kind of got put into this book and it evolved to what it is today. But the whole idea of it, and I have it in the beginning, is that's really a tribute to my daughter. And that's how I started my podcast as well. The, the whole idea behind it, and I share the story in the very first episode, is this is totally a tribute to her because I want her to know these investing uh, tenants or commandments and uh, to be able to do this on her own. Mm. Such a beautiful story. And we're going to get into the Ten Commandments later, which I'm excited to. And maybe you don't need to share all of them, but I really want you to kind of, because I want people to buy the book, right? We had a conversation um, before we got on. There's a mutual friend of ours who had come to me and actually we were having dinner and he, he actually, I came to him and I said, so what do you, like, what do you do with your money? You know, just kind of a curious way. Cause I knew he'd done really well. And he paused he said, you know, no one's ever asked me that. And, uh, and if they have, I've felt judged and I've made up excuses about what I do, but I don't really know. And I have this money. It's basically sitting in accounts that someone else is, um, managing. He's like, I don't really know. I said, like, okay, well, um, we can change that you know, and, uh, I'm not trying to make you into me, but I can at least start to, uh, wrap, allow you to wrap your head around what it means to take back the power of the money that you've made. And then we can talk about how to let it work for you. But like, let's just like get around the energy of that. Cause you made that money and we both know him. He's a deeply connected brother. And so that his energy is part of all of that. And when someone else is the custodian of that in such a detached way, it didn't feel right for me or for him as we were playing around with it. So we had a deep conversation at my house um, a few days later. And I just, you and I had met before, but you'd just give me your book and I had started reading it. And I was like, uh, you need to read this book and then me, you and Justin need to sit down because I can help you with what I know. And I know Justin can help you with what he knows. And he's actually put together um, an amazing tool here for you, but you also have access to him. He's part of our brotherhood here. And so then I reached out to you and you're like, absolutely. Like, let's get together. So that's still pending, but you guys have since had conversations about it and it's on its way. That's right. That's right. Well, and it's, it's really funny how things evolve. He, he said, you know, you're the third, you know, the cow was the third person to tell me about this. My wife had already been given this book by one of her friends. And it's just funny how interconnected everyone really is. But I think it's important and powerful to gain control of your, you know, your, your financial future. And that goes with, you know, that can be the utility on your money but it's also the education that you give yourself, right? I think it's really important to not just rely on other people to do this because other people are generally not as skilled, trained, successful as most people give them credit for. Just because someone's licensed doesn't mean that they're actually good at what they do or that they practice what they preach or that they even have their own philosophies um, or strategies and that they don't do something that you know, maybe as a high, high commission take on their part, like mm -hmm. what, what is their motivation? And so, you know, in general, and by the way, I have a lot of friends that are financial advisors and they do really well and they're very smart. Um, but the industry in general, you, you really have to be careful because not everyone is who you think they are. And I mean, the stats show, I mean, the, the report of, you know, how the S and P 500 index 
performs compared to managed money, a managed portfolio, some, someone, a fund, a hedge fund, a, uh, an active manager, a financial planner. I mean, the, the stats show in the last decade that only 5% of financial advisors outperformed just that simple S&P 500 index. So in most people's case, 95% of the time, they are paying someone to get a worse result than if they did the lowest cost way to earn a return in a diversified, you know, index. Dude. And you, and you talked about, you, you mentioned this at the beginning of that was the investment you've made in yourself. And I know that you've spent well into the seven figures to educate yourself, to have your own experience to layer in what you're learning from some of the guys who and gals who've done it before you. But it's so important to invest in your own education, whatever that may look like. But I'd love for you to share some of the tools that you used as you were kind of uh, formulating your own investment thesis. Yeah, great, great question and great, you know, direction, because I think it's imperative that people are intentional about what they want the outcome to be and who they spend time with. So for me, I think a lot of what I learned was because I put myself in a situation with people that were smarter than me, that people were, that were more experienced than me. And I'm, I'm very willing to learn. I'm, I'm, you know, I kind of categorize myself as an eternal student. You know, I'm mm -hmm. a lifelong learner. I just want to learn. And so my mission is to put myself around other you know, surround myself with successful people, people that play the game of life at a higher level, the game of business, the game of investing, whatever it is, I, I want to know what are the best minds doing. And I'm going to copycat that I'm, you know, a very, when I look at it, some people will say, Hey, Justin, you've, you've created a lot of stuff. And my response to them is actually, I've just copycatted a lot of things, and then maybe made some slight tweaks and innovations from there. But more than anything, I'm just a student of models that work and people that work. And so that comes in the form of a peer group, but it also comes in the form of coaches and mentors and people that we can either pay to put ourselves around or find people that are willing to take us under their wing. Uh, and maybe it's, it's not a monetary thing. Maybe it's a giving back thing on their end, or maybe there's some sort of partnership. But I just think it is wise to surround yourself with people that are doing the thing that you want to do not paying someone that's never done what you want to do. That's so important to that's yes. <laughs> not to be lost. There's so much of that out there. Yeah. Whether it's co coaching in general or investment advice, these people have never made money, but they have all these ideas about how to do it. It's like, bro, what have you ever done? Right. Right. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's almost, I think about my own experience as a, as a, as a trader, as an investor, and just in life, like that, almost the wounded healer energy. Like I've been, I've messed some things up, you know, I've kind of fucked it up. And because I've done that, I've figured out a better way to come through it. But when you haven't, you don't have any of that experience and you're just relying on conversations that other people are having books, they're important. They are guides for us to, figure out where we fit within the space, but we have to have our own experience. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, my original mentors were authors because I didn't have anyone growing up that was doing the thing that I wanted to do. No one was investing. No one was a successful business owner in my network. And so I relied on authors and, you know, founders of companies that I had no access to except through a book. And I do think it's important to recognize, to get clear on what it is that you want out of life, what you want out of finances. You know, for me, I wanted passive income. I wanted a lifestyle. I wanted to build a lifestyle that didn't require my time to produce income. I wanted assets to produce income. And so I became a student of how to generate income that way. And I spent time with people that did that same thing, that bought assets. And by the way, some of them specialized in one area. So I would learn that specialty. And then other people maybe specialized in another area. And so I just kind of made my way to the places and the people that I felt were the best and the brightest. And I learned what they did and I copied their strategies to a T. And only when I felt like I was an expert, did I then choose to innovate because it doesn't make sense to, you know, try it out. But you made a really good point. You learned a lot when you lost money and you made a mistake or made mistakes. And I can tell you without a doubt, 
you, if you invest, you're going to lose money. There, there is no one out there that is 100% perfect. And if they are, there's just a matter of time until that's not the case. But some of the biggest lessons come in losing because then you know you're not invincible or you know your thesis wasn't strong. And so to me, that's that's the importance of just getting out there and getting in the game is once you're in the game, it forces you to learn. And then when you do make a mistake, you really learn the lesson because no one wants to make the same mistake twice when it comes to your capital. <laughs> that's true. And, and you, you'd mentioned peer group earlier. And I so I would love to transition into front row dads because I know it's not just about uh, being great dads. Can you, can you give um, the listeners a bit of context for how this group of men show up for one another? Yeah, this group is incredible. And this is, I tell people all the time, you know, I have my own mastermind, obviously. And, and I tell people all the time, like this is this front row dads mastermind, like this one is top priority. You know, this to me is the whole, the whole idea behind it is that you are family men first, businessmen second. And I just love that the guys showing up there are intentional about their marriages and about their kids and the way that they have, uh, the way they show up, the way that they have relationships with those in, in their life. To me, I think you learn a lot about people's values in the way that they show up for their family. Do they show up with the leftovers? after you know a long day and they've got nothing left to give or do they show up making sure that there's energy and uh, just intentionality towards building good relationships even when they're low on energy so that is the group and I love the group because it's it's there, there's accountability there's love there's I mean it's just such a great camaraderie and brotherhood that I've never experienced anywhere else from people with all different walks of life. But a lot of them tend to be high achieving, entrepreneurial minded, we'll call it in some cases, very, you know, alpha type of men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's great seeing them take a back seat in this environment. It's, it's so important. And, you know, I was fortunate when I came into trading back in 95, uh, the guy who hired me, who I ended up becoming partners with was a guy named Will Hobart, who you can imagine in the trading business, there's not a ton of guys that put family first. And he was one of the few guys. And I was so fortunate to have come into trading under him because I learned that. And it, it, believe me, it took me a while until I could really embody it but he was always the beacon for what that meant. And he did really well financially, but you never knew because it was all about how he was showing up for his family and all the men, it was mostly men within that, that um, in our firm, got to see that as the example of this is what's important. Vacation time is important. No, you have to leave. You have to go spend, like your wife has a baby, you get a week off. Like there's no questions asked for anything that has to do with the family. You want to go to your kid's recital? Done. Leave the trading floor. I don't care what's going on. It's just leading by example. And so I love that there's something that's um, there for men that's even more intentional. Like, look, this is the work we're going to do. And we're going to show you what it looks like because we're all doing it. And so the new guys coming in, who are the alphas, right? They're coming in. They're like, I've been taught this way. Something doesn't quite feel right. But the way you guys are moving through the world is really drawing me in. And so show me the way, right? That's you get to powerful. see that. Yeah. And it's neat because a lot of people were brought up differently. They were brought up to just grind and to put in however many hours they needed to. You know, I have a lot of friends that are traders and um, some that are still in the business and, and others that have moved on. But it is a very dog eat dog type of atmosphere, environment, world, if you will. And I think the way most people are trained is totally opposite of that. And so I think that it's great that you could have someone that could show you the path and that this path, you can still be successful and have time for friends and family and things important. And I do think that that trumps everything because the lasting memory is like, 
who cares about the one trade and the, you know, extra hours and the, you're not going to remember that 10 years from now, but you're going to remember the recital, the ball game, the, you know, trip to Cabo, whatever it is, you're going to remember those things, the experiences, things that will be locked in as a memory. And by the way, even if you don't, your kids will. Yeah, they will. And, and this is a, this is a, a really a central tenet to your book. I believe it's the first commandment, but it's lifestyle first. And it's, the idea that so often we trade time for money. We've all done it. It's just when we wake up to it, when we start to, if we continue to do it, it doesn't feel right because we're so unconscious to it. I think for, for a lot of us, we didn't know this is just what we were taught. But once you become aware, right? What do you, how do you, how do you get people who are in that unconscious state? How do you su- suggest to wake them up? Well, my experience Cal, is that most people are on autopilot. And so they don't happen to life. Life happens to them. And they just go through the motions and they wake up. They've got a routine. There's an alarm clock set. They make their coffee. They go to work. They go to the same office. They do their job. They come home, so on and so forth. And even people that are business owners can create that same routine and often create a job out of their business. That's a very common occurrence that I see in, in clients that I've coached over the years. And, and before I was coaching more on the financial portion, I would coach clients on how to scale their companies and um, how to develop sales teams and recruiting and so on and so forth. So I've been around entrepreneurs for a long time and in, in this role. So I've seen up close, you know, in person what it really looks like. And so to wake someone up, it's really a mindset shift because most people are going to have a behavior or routine that's in line with the mindset that they have. So a shift in mindset is going to shift that behavior and shift that routine. And so I'm hoping that for many that read the book, that that can be part of it instead of showing up and letting things happen to be intentional and create a life by design and figure out what it is that you want. I find that people are really clear on what they don't want. Because when I ask people, well, what do you want out of life? Or what do you want financially? Or what do you want? What do you want your lifestyle to look like? The first answer over 90% of the time is I can tell you what I don't want. I don't want this, that, the other thing. It's amazing. Wow. But people have very little clarity of what they do want. And so I think when that's articulated and written down, captured in some way, shape, or form, that in itself can be part of that change agent to help people move from subconscious or unconscious to a lot more conscious, intentional, and moving in a direction that is also inspiring and compelling and exciting, where passion is involved. I've found that when you can replace time for money with assets that produce money, your time can then be spent in the areas that you're most passionate about. And you can use the gifts that you've been blessed with. Everyone has these unique gifts and talents, and most people don't use them, or they use them so periodically, it's really a shame. But for most, once their, their financial you know, well-being is taken care of, it gives permission to tap into those passions and to spend time in a way that people find meaningful. And so that's my goal. I want to, my goal is to help people realize they don't have to work. And there's a big difference when you shift from the feeling or the experience of having to work instead of getting to work. And the way you show up is different. I can assure you of that. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's walk it back for people. Let's say, what would a, what would that list have looked like of what would a young Justin have wanted? What did he want that he started to manifest to get him to where he is today? Well, I think early on in my career, there was this, this pride or this badge of honor for work ethic, like putting in a lot of hours, you're starting a company, you're running a business, and therefore you need to be there longer than anyone else. And I remember working 18 hour days and in in those moments, I felt great that I could do it. Today, I feel good that I have the work ethic to be able to do it. But I recognized in that moment that I didn't want that for my future. You know, back then that was before I was, you know, seriously dating or if I was seriously dating someone, those type of hours compromise that type of relationship. 
And I knew that when I had a family that I didn't want that to be the case. So that was a chapter in my life, but I knew it was just going to be a chapter because I was going to make the moves. I was going to be disciplined with the cash that I made to be able to invest it, put it somewhere, not spend it. Uh, and, and so for me, I just wanted options and choices. That to me is powerful. I wanted autonomy. I didn't want people to tell me when I had to work and what I had to do. I wanted this agency in my life where I could just show up when I wanted to show up, or if I didn't want to, I didn't have to, that I could work because I wanted to, that I could work from anywhere in the world. And by the way, I don't have a desire to not work. I actually think that'd be really boring. I just have a desire to work exactly the way I want to for as many hours or as few hours at any given time, you know, depending on the project and depending on how involved or excited I am about it. I want to be able to work from anywhere in the world because I love to travel and I love my family being with me. And my family tends to sleep more than I do. So when I wake up, <laughs> you know, I like to read and I like to get into stuff, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I want that. I want to have something that is inspiring. So I, I've got to do something. And I like having the time to be able to figure out whatever it is in that season that I get to do and that I get to learn. Oh, that's great. And I, 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 that resonates too, that my family likes to sleep in a little bit more than me, which is great because it does, it allows me an hour, two hours, sometimes more to get into the things that I'm super interested in. So that when they get up, when my wife gets up and I make Peyton coffee, like we get to hang and I'm not running through all this stuff in my mind. That's right. Um, oh, so fun. And, and you know what? I, uh, for me, the, the whole idea is, and I learned this from our mutual friend, Garen, is that my whole life can be about joy. I think that's what you're talking about here. Like, what are the things that I really enjoy? And how do I start to pull all those things into the areas of my life that activate this fun, that little, that little kid in us is like, everything can be fun. It's not to say that shit's not going to go south at times and it's going to be hard. It is. But if, if the North Star is, is this fun? Will this be fun? Can I see, um, you know, the end of this where there is a, a kind of this payoff or am I just stuck in this rut of doing what I think I'm supposed to do? And that is draining. Whether, whether people realize it or not, it is on a subconscious level that is draining to feel like you're stuck, to be a slave to a job or a slave to the income you make or a slave to the lifestyle that you have or a slave to security and not feel like you can make change. I mean, there's so many different ways and, and people that become business owners, you know, often they make that shift from employee to business owner wanting freedom and autonomy. But the reality is they actually just create like a bigger job. They become a slave to a business where they're the bottleneck to the growth of that company. Mm -hmm. They become a slave to the new income that they're making. So they're, maybe they're making a lot more income and there are a lot of perks that come with that, but you still become a slave to the lifestyle that you have built around that income. And generally that income is not, you know, people don't have passive income to cover the new lifestyle expenses. So if something happens to the business, then it becomes very challenging to maintain that lifestyle. And if someone wants to make a change and not work as hard, it's hard to do that because they've become accustomed to a lifestyle that they don't want to reduce. That's <laughs> okay. So there's a lot in there. Let's, let, let, let's back up a second. Why don't you share a few of your 10 commandments? You can share them all if you'd like, but if I wonder if there's a few that would really land for people like this kind of 101, like, look, if you don't get anything else from this podcast today and you don't go out and buy this damn book, <laughs> I'm going to give you a few nuggets here. What, what would you share for someone who they're making decent money at their job? They've been in this job for 15 years. They feel like they're probably going to be in another 15, but they dread it. They dread it every day. What's, what are some things you can share that loosens the grip on that sense of security? Well, the first thing I'll say is that it really doesn't matter about the money if that's the way someone feels. I don't think personally that people should wait until they necessarily 
can make a change to cover that if they really are dreading what they're doing that much. And I know plenty of people that are. I think people are better served to make a change to do something that's more inspiring as they figure out that financial piece, that component of their life. But, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, move forward on the Ten Commandments and the way that I kind of look at things, the, the second commandment, the second commandment is to reduce the risk. And I have that one at the beginning because I feel like a lot of people today preach that if you want a great return, you have to have all this risk. And that's just not the case. It's not true. And there are a lot of ways that you can de-risk a deal. If you lose money, it's forever gone. And you got to work twice as hard to make that money back, right? Actually, if you lose half your money, you got to work twice as hard to make it back. And mm. you've still forever lost the opportunity cost of what that money could have made you. So the most important thing is to just not lose money. And if you don't lose money, if you have some strategic things that you can do, and you know, for me, that happens with, it depends what we're investing in, but maybe it's to collateralize whatever is being invested in through investment or, or loan. Give us an example of what it would mean to collateralize something. So let's say that I did an investment in, let's say I lent money uh, to someone that's going to rehab a home that they're going to flip and make whatever that delta is from their purchase price to what they're going to sell it to after the rehab project. Well, what I can do is I can have that home be the collateral to the loan. So maybe the loan is 100000 or 500000 or 50000 The number doesn't matter. But what if the collateral is two or three or five times the amount of that loan? Well, now, if there's a default and something happens, you actually end up doing better than if you had just gotten, you know, the return, the, the terms that were negotiated, which were likely pretty good. And another key would be to be in a first lien position or a senior debt position in whatever, you know, note or investment that someone's looking to do that creates a lot of protection. Or another thing that I've done is I've negotiated put options. So let's say that I do an investment in a company and, or a piece of real estate, and I put in the in the contract that there's a put option for the total value of the investment. Let's say I invest $250,000. And I put a put option on there saying, if for any reason, I would like this money back at any time, whether I don't like the investment, I'm just in a cash crunch, something happens, I can get that money back. And in many instances, I've been able to negotiate a percentage with it. So one of my last deals, actually one of the ones I referenced in the book, I negotiated a 20% uh, interest on that put option so that there's the ability to have a put option and, and the duration for which that investment uh, was made, even if I you know, executed that, that put option, one year into it, I would get 20% on my money for that year and all my money back. So these are all examples of how to reduce the risk where your money's not really at risk. You have it protected. You still can earn an upside, but the odds of losing are not good. Mm. <laughs> okay. I love that. That's a great commandment. And it's different than, than, than kind of my orientation to investing in risk. I mean, again, I grew up in the trading world and a central part of that, and you talked about it earlier today, but the central part of that is you're going to lose money. And sometimes you're going to lose a lot, but it's like, being able to cut your losses, get back up and continue to trade to earn the money back. So I'm, I'm much more comfortable with risk than most people. I've, you know, invested in plenty of things, which <laughs> just laugh about. I've learned a lot over the years. <laughs> you know, I've been uh, become a lot more discerning about that, but I think it's important for, because when people come to me to ask me like, what, what should I do with my money? I'm like, you don't want to do what I do with it because I'm comfortable with whatever happens. I am not married to this stuff. I understand that when I go into an investment, um, I don't generally collateralize stuff. I'm like, let's fucking go. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> like it's, it's on. And so anyway, I'm also very interested. I'm coming in very much with the beginner's mind on a lot of this stuff. So it's exciting for me to be able to apply this going forward into my own investment kind of uh, mindset and thesis. But I, I love that the the de-risking of things because that's there's a lot of tension for people around that. Like, I don't want to lose this money. Okay. You say you want to be in crypto, but you don't want to lose this money. There's a good chance you might lose that money or you could 10X. I don't know, but I'm willing to roll the dice. You know, I don't know enough about it. I don't know if anybody really knows enough about it to make an educated uh, or, or to, to, to really stave off the downside risk. And if, and if there's anything you know about crypto and how to do that, I'd love to hear it. Well, there's so much speculation in mm -hmm. most altcoins at least, but you know, I, I think that there's some security and safety and something that's going to hedge against a devaluing dollar. So that one to me is a little bit less risky by nature because my goal isn't to make a big return. My goal is to not lose as much money as if I'm sitting in cash. Yeah. So there's not a huge bar that I need to get past in order to make that a worthwhile investment. And long-term, that one's really paid off. You know, Bitcoin in general has really paid off long-term. And you can look at the spikes and the dips. We're in a dip right now. And uh, if you look at the, you know, last year, last five years, last 10 years, it's all an incline. And so there's a lot to be said about, you know, what do you think? Where's this going to go? Could this go to zero? I don't actually think it can go to zero, but uh, there are going to be dips and, and uh, peaks along the journey. And it's going to happen like that for as long as this is, you know, traded. And so what is your... What does your exposure look like? Are you staying with the the you know the, with just Bitcoin and maybe some Ethereum and some other kind of more stable ones, or are you kind of sprinkling the infield? Yeah, so I am. I mean, most of what I have is going to be Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I think Uniswap is going to do really well. You and I, and mm -hmm. there are a handful of others. You know, I'm probably in you know ten different coins total. And I might go in and out. And I, one of the reasons that I like altcoins is, you know, number one, if you put money on them, you should probably just, I mean, it, it's gambling, you know, that it's pure speculation. And if you get it right, it's not because you knew. I mean, you just timed it right. You just timed it in a lucky fashion. But there's, in a bull market, it's easier to do that. And so let's say that you time some. I'm not necessarily looking for a big return. I just want to make enough of a return where I can put more back into Bitcoin. So to me, it's increasing that Bitcoin position because I do think that there's nothing better out there as a, a hedge against the dollar. Like if you're looking for something that is, you know, fungible, that has utility, I don't know that there's a lot better. I mean, we could talk about gold. We could talk about silver. I think there's a place for both of those. I'm not anti either of those. I'm just pro as many different ways to protect against a devaluing dollar as you can. Mm, okay. That's fair. And th that doesn't surprise me. Um, I'm more of a buy and hold guy. And I've seen some of these little guys I have take off and come all the way back down. And That's so right. I'm, <laughs> the buy and hold has worked in a few cases. Unfortunately, you know, we, we, we unfortunately we did take a little bit of a, a, a little heat with Elon's tweet storm. Good God, I, I don't understand him. He he says things that you know wreck his own company stock. In this case, you know, and by the way, I, I mean directly his own company. And then in this case, he's slamming Bitcoin, where his company, you know, has a pretty large position on their balance sheet. So it, it is just comical. I just think that he just doesn't care. I mean, or maybe he's just trying to buy more. Well, we, we speculated that maybe, I mean, the, the legality of it is he really can't do that in, you know, with, with his company. He can't, you know, he can't push the price down and then buy more. But could he do that privately? Could he do that under the radar, you know, with a wallet that he hasn't bought anything else with? Mm. So if you were to speculate and 
you think that he's more than just an emotional guy or a guy that just doesn't care, there's a, a good uh, possibility. Yeah, there's, there's no telling. <laughs> All right, back to the commandments. Give us another one. Give us another juicy one. All right, so the third commandment's a fun one, and this one's finding invisible deals. And so to me, this is where the money's made because if you get a good enough deal, when I talk about invisible, meaning most people don't know about it, the transaction will happen and, and no one will know. Uh, you can't find this deal. It's, it's hard to come by. It's very limited. So finding these type of invisible deals, you can often get a great price because there's no competition or relatively low competition. In most cases, there's none. So Give us an example of one that maybe you've done in the past or... You know, you can be, you can be abstract with it, yeah. but I, I would love to just to give people a little more context. Well, I've done this in real estate and I've done this with companies. And so, so one way that you can do it is you just approach someone that owns an asset and you say, Hey, I have an idea. I'd like to buy part of your company or I'd like to buy your real estate. What would you sell it for? You know, I'm interested. And generally I just see if there's any interest. And most of the time people say no, but if you ask enough, you're going to find people that say yes. And so I've bought, you know, off-market deals before. I've bought, you know, positions in companies before. I've uh, been able to lend money in a situation where people weren't even trying to raise money and get an equity kicker, which we can talk about as well, where, which basically you're just getting free equity. You know, mm -hmm. you, you lend money, you get that money back at the due date, you get an interest rate in the interim. And then when you have all your money back, uh, you still have equity, so you have upside. And so I've been able to do all kinds of deals like these with people that weren't out on the market shopping their opportunity. And in many cases, they didn't even know people were interested in what they had. So I just have learned to not be afraid. If I see something that I like, I just ask, just say, hey, you have any interest in selling? Because I'm interested in buying or I'm interested in investing. And it, you'd be surprised that, I mean, still the majority will say no, but you'd be surprised when you do that enough, how many people say yes. And some of my best deals I've ever gotten are exactly that. So just being curious out there, I guess, for, That's right. for people just to, don't be afraid to ask. That's right. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay, nice. <laughs> All right. Give us another one. One more. All right. So I'm going to combine a couple here because yeah. this one I think is so the fourth commandment, and I'm kind of going in order because there is a progression that makes sense. Gotcha. Uh, but the fourth commandment is to get cash flow immediately, which is really important to me. Or actually, the fourth commandment might even be uh, to get your principal back immediately. And then the fifth one is get cash flow immediately. And I'm going to combine these two because to me, it's all about cash flow. I love having cash flow. You know, when you think about successful businesses, a lot of people look at, you know, how much is the business doing? What's the revenue? And what's the valuation? I don't actually think that's the healthiest way to look at a business. Um, and I don't even think that, you know, when, when people are valuing businesses, they look at, you know, the balance sheet and they look at the profit and loss. To me, the, the health of a business comes from the cash flow statement. Because that's your truest indicator. You can you can manipulate numbers on a PL. You know, valuations are in in many cases just uh, supported based on you know thin air, based on hypothesis, or based on a manipulation of of a, a PL. And so to me, or even the manipulation of what category a company is, like, is this a service company? Is this a technology company? Well, even though it's in the service industry, because we've built this one layer on, it's now a tech company and therefore it's worth, you know, 10 mm -hmm. times more. So there's just things to pay attention to. But to me, the cash flow statement gives you the real health of the business today. A profit and loss can tell you how well you're doing, but you could go out of business the next day because you don't have cash flow. You can't maintain it. And so to me, on a personal level, it's all about cash flow. So I don't like to buy things generally that don't cash flow. To me, that's more of a liability than it is an asset. And so uh, I, I look for something that cash flows today. And I look for regular distributions of that cash flow, ideally on a monthly basis. But I've also done quarterly basis. I don't like to do longer than that. And then I, I like getting my principal back or my original investment quickly. And this is one that a lot of people don't think about because most investments out there are a buy and hold. Put your money in the stock market, 
don't look at it for 30 years till you retire, 40 years or 50 years, whatever it is. Or, hey, we've got this VC fund, put your money in and 10 years later, you know, you'll know kind of how we did and hopefully we do well. Or, you know, invest in equity in this company because this is going to be a huge hit, but you don't really know what happens with that company until whatever date it is that there's a liquidity event, which generally never happens. I mean, the, the odds of a company having a liquidity event are actually slim to none. Like companies, you know, it's a very small percentage that actually do well. And when they do, it's like 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. So you don't know. So to me, an equity investment in a company where you don't know when it's going to succeed and, and if it will even succeed. That to me is the equivalent of a 0% interest loan in a high risk asset for an undetermined period of time. Hmm. That's how I look at most equity investments. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, I just laugh, I'm just laughing at how many of those I've done over the years. <laughs> By the way, guilty also, that's, yeah. you know, I learned this because I've seen the, you know, I've seen what, how much has been successful. I've seen how much is in limbo. And then I see these other investments that I've done where I followed my principles and my commandments and how they cash flow and how I, I get returns. And so the whole idea here is how quickly can I get my initial principal back? If I get my principal back in a year, I can reinvest it. And then if I do another one where I get it back in two years, I can reinvest it. And so, you know, inside of three years, I've made three investments. I've got some equity in each deal. I've negotiated an equity kicker or I got equity when I, I got in a real estate deal and refinanced it out, however you want to look at it. But if you look at like a standard fund, you know, in the, in the VC space, 10 years, I mean, you're probably not going to see a whole lot for 10 years. You're not going to know the overall return generally for 10 years, sometimes longer. Yeah. I've been, okay. I've been in a couple that have been longer. Yeah. So let's say instead of investing in that, you invested in something with a two-year note and then you got that money back and you invested in something else with the same money, by the way, in a real estate play that was refied in two years. And then you invested in something else that with the same dollars and you invest in a company, an operating company. But let's say that you do an accelerated distribution until all your money is back out of the deal, which I just did in a company here recently and got all my money back in less than six months. And, uh, and so, damn, right. So, yes. so now, and I can tell you more about that company, but that's three deals inside of, let's say it's two years each time yeah. inside of six years, I've got the same dollars. I've got equity now in three deals. Let's say that I do that two more times to make it the equivalent of 10 years. I've got five deals with five different sets of equity, uh, and upside, but all my money back. So I have total utility versus not really knowing how something performs for 10 years. So that to me, I call that the velocity of money. And that to me is one of the more powerful ways to look at investing that I feel like hardly anyone looks at. Yeah. Self-included. That's, that's freaking wow. This again. How can I not come in with a beginner's mind? <laughs> that would take some serious ass ego. <laughs> I have to say those are, that's, that's long gone. Um, okay. I want some common myths and misconceptions that people are like, I can't do this because of that. Yeah, there, there are so many of them. I think a lot of people limit their ability to do something based on a lack of knowledge rather than finding someone that is knowledgeable and educating themselves or just copying what someone who's successful has done. So I think a lot of people, you know, one of the big myths is I don't, I don't have the education or I don't know how to do that, or I don't know how to find deals. But I think the answer is just surround yourself with the people that do. You don't have to be like brilliant in this space. You just have to be educated and you have to be around other people that are also educated. And so I think that's a great place to start. Most people, I mean, myself included, I didn't know this until I started doing it. I didn't, like, I don't know the things I know, except that I read books and I met people that did it. And I started 
dabbling at first and I started to learn and I figured it out. And then I had exposure to high level attorneys that taught me things and helped protect me. And so it's like every step of the way I'm learning something and it's because I chose to move forward. So at the end of every podcast episode I do, I, I, my call to action is that I encourage everyone to take one step, some form of action towards financial freedom today. And that might be education. It might be taking someone to lunch that knows a thing or two. It, it just means, you know, move forward towards financial freedom and building a life that you desire by design, not by default. And so that to me is the answer to that myth. Mm. It's breaking down all those old stories that keep us stuck, right? That's right. That's right. And again, that goes back to the mindset, right? So what your mindset is generally is going to dictate those actions, those behaviors. But if you can have a shift in mindset, and my shift in mindset is pretty simple. I decided that if other people can do something, I can too, as long as I just copy what they're doing. And if I can get close enough to them that I can learn from them, great. But at a minimum, if someone else has done something and I do the thing they're doing, following their blueprint, every step along the way, then I believe I can get those results too. And maybe they're not as good, but partially as good is better than not doing it at all. And the other thing is, if I don't think I can do it, why don't I just invest with those people? Mm. Right? So they can do it. They can use my capital. I can protect my time in that, you know, in, in that fashion. But I would still encourage that some sort of education should go along with it. Well said. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got the book here. And as I was reading through the uh, Murphy's laws for the lifestyle investor, I checked off a few that really, really landed for me. <laughs> They're so good. So good. Well, uh, and actually we, we should set this up. Yeah, let's set it up. <laughs> because the whole idea of Murphy's laws for the lifestyle investor came about because of mistakes that I made. Uh -huh. it, it, came, it came about because I lost money. I didn't trust my gut. I didn't trust my attorney. I, th there were just so many warning signs that I looked past. And because of that, I lost a lot of money. And so yeah. I like starting my book with this story because I want people to know I, I've made plenty of mistakes. You know, I'm, I'm showing up and I'm better today because I've made the mistakes that I've made, but I wanted everyone to know right out of the gates that I have lost money and I will lose more money. Yeah. I'm just, my whole idea is that I want to, I'm okay losing a battle here and there. I just want to win the war, yeah. financial war. Yeah. Well said. And, and, and one of the things I, I particularly loved when you talk about this in the book is how you started out as much of a, very much a feel guy on investments which resonates with me. Um, and then you shifted over as you learned through this whole process, you started to have what my friend Boyd says, you know, you have form to leave form. So you have structure that you follow, but you also play within that, what feels right. Um, and that's, that's the part that I'm working on now is to really, what does my structure around the feel look like and, and how do those things work together? I like it. That's awesome. Number two, this is number two. If anything feels creepy, it probably is. <laughs> and it's true, man. So true. It's so true. And then it, and it falls, and it falls a little bit into number three, beware of name droppers and name dropping. That's right. I mean, this is the classic tool in the toolbox of people that don't have a great concept, but let you know who else is involved and invested so that you know that you should do it. Oh, dude, it's such a lower energy. And I've fallen for that many times as, as, as I know you have because oh, it's yeah. in here. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, yeah, this was good for me. Beware of abnormally high returns, regardless of how much you'd like, you would like it to be your reality. And I would yeah. see some decks come through like, fuck, man. <laughs> and I love the concept. Like I wasn't, you know, I've finally changed my orientation to a no and you've got to convince me versus I really want this thing to work. Bingo. That's it. That's it. And, and one of the smartest people in my network, uh, said you need to show up as skeptical as you can. Everything is not going to work and you try to prove that it will. That's the, the, you know, framework, the mental framework that you should enter every deal with. And if you can prove it to work, then invest. 
but start off like this is a total waste of time. This is never going to work out. Here's all the reasons why. And it's so hard to do. But the more <laughs> you is. do it, you start to see that it filters out those shitty deals. And it's, and I think you speak about it here. I don't know if it's one of the commandments, but it's the deals that you miss. There's so much importance in the ones that you miss because they saved you money. They saved you time. There's always going to be another deal around the corner. I think for me, for so often I would write checks because I didn't want to miss out on this next thing. And I finally started to realize that there's no next thing. That's right. You know, and it's my energy and all that kind of neediness going into those investments did not give them a great chance of survival. Totally. I mean, what you're referring to is that the greatest investment I've ever made is the investments that I've chosen not to do. Yes. Right. That's and this all stems from the point of, I feel like I have FOMO at times and, and earlier in my career, a lot more so than today. But, you know, to a certain degree, I have a fear of missing out. I want to catch all the good things. My wife has balanced me really well. She has what's called JOMO, the joy of missing out. Yeah. And that is a good thing. That's been a nice counterbalance. And I love looking at it from that standpoint of, wait, do I need to put all this extra you know, emotion and work on my plates? Or can I just let something go? And the answer is you can just let it go. Mm, that's perfect. Perfectly stated. Make sure other experts like the investment. Don't just go in your own silly little mind. Like you've got to, you know, ask for feedback, right? That's Send right. it to other that's people. Right. Get a ton of opinions. And by the way, realize that most of the investments you're going to do, you're going to have naysayers to it. So just because someone says no, doesn't mean it should be a no. But if everyone that you sent it to said no, <laughs> that's probably some good feedback. Yes. And, and, you know, another thing is send it to people that specialize in that thing. You know, you, you could have a lot of people that say no to things if they don't understand it. You know, I, one of my investments in, you know, buying a, a retail brand that's being scaled online and just solely positioned to an e-commerce platform. Uh, and there are several of these brands, but I had a lot of smart people around me say, Hey, you know, this doesn't make sense. I wouldn't do it. But to me, it did make sense because I saw the trends of e-commerce. I saw the value of buying a brand that already has a big following, that there's strong brand recognition. And I recognized that a lot of the people that I was sending this to, you know, there's really no there's no company that has gone from brick and mortar to e-commerce only successfully at a high level, like prior to this. So, you know, companies that have brick and mortar presence that have e-commerce, like that's a big thing, right? But to completely shut down a company and just pivot to just uh, e-commerce, that, that really hasn't been a thing. This is like a new trend within the last couple of years. And I felt like we were on the cutting edge of that. And the people that I was getting opinions from on that had no specialization there. But the people that in that space that, you know, had, had a feeling like, hey, I believe e-commerce has taken off as well. I think this could be a good play. Those I waited a little bit stronger because of their experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Tell me this. You've got the Lions Network. That's your private coaching. Are you still taking clients? So right now I have a wait list, but um, I, I, I kind of, that one is capped because I don't want to coach too many people. It's, uh, it's really exciting. It's price prohibitive to most anyway, but it is um, kind of the highest level of program that I have where it's one-on-one -on -one time with me on a pretty regular basis. And that one is generally word of mouth. So most of my clients have come from previous clients that have recommended their friends that would be a good fit. And there's an application process and everything, but uh, it, it's been a very popular program. Okay. And so people can get on a wait list for that. How else can people work with you? So what happened from there is um, I have a mastermind and the mastermind is a lot of overflow for people that are on the wait list for the private coaching. They'll do some of the group stuff that we do where we meet you know, once a month to do a deep dive on an industry or on a strategy. And then we generally have uh, several deals 
you know, a few a month that we dig into. I always say, well, do at least one a month, but the deal flow has been kind of crazy. So we've been doing one a week uh, here, basically this whole year. And, um, and so that's kind of like the next tier. And that is part of, so my private clients all have access to the mastermind and they'll often show up to it. Um, and it's really fun, I think, for the mastermind members to be able to interact with some of these private clients. Cause a lot of these people are uh, individuals that have had pretty massive exits. I mean, nine figures uh, in some cases and, and or very high income earning executives or, or high profile uh, names kind of in, in the entrepreneurial space. Mm -hmm. And so they'll often show up on our mastermind sessions. So people really, really enjoy that. It's, it's cool. Yes. Obviously you have your podcast and you have your book, uh, podcast, the lifestyle investor podcast, the book, the lifestyle investor. Is there anything else that people need to know about you? Sure. Besides the fact that you and I Dr drop down on Wednesdays and have a great workout with our brothers here. What else do they need to know? And I am very appreciative for you opening up your place. It is just an awesome session. I, I love it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's an online course that a lot of people uh, are enjoying. This is uh, really taken off here. I, I launched it earlier this year. And then there's a masterclass that was formerly a live event that I did. And we repurposed it just as a, a one day uh, kind of on-demand product, and and people can check that out. But that one, uh, we dig into tax strategies, you know, tax planning, and how do you uh, optimize and pay less in taxes? How do you utilize whole life to kind of create um, better returns? And how do you invest in syndications, real estate syndications? How do you invest in senior secured credit funds on you know with debt? And we just kind of dive into a lot of topics that I think are very foundational topics that most people should know at least the basics about. And where, where are they going to find that? So all that you can find on my website at justindonald.com. And uh, you can specifically find each of these by using a forward slash uh, coaching, mastermind, forward slash masterclass, course, uh, whatever uh, podcast, you know, and any of the different things that I do, but it's all there on that website. And then for anyone that wants to get the book, uh, you can obviously go to Amazon, but if you um, go through the website, if you go to lifestyleinvestorbook.com, um, I'll give it to your audience free. They just have to pay for the shipping. And, um, and then they have access to, you know, a few other, you know, special things that we're doing. And then in addition to that, I want to make sure that everyone knows all the proceeds of the lifestyle investor book go to charity. So everything that I make on the lifestyle investor uh, currently is going to a company or an organization rather called Love Justice International. And they stop human trafficking in 17 countries around the world. And this is an exciting stat, but a disturbing stat at the same time. Um, they had their largest month ever with over 500 preventions, like stoppages of of uh, child trafficking, human trafficking. And really what this is, is sex trafficking. It's really a shame. Um, over 500, it's their largest month yet in April. And so it's exciting to see what they're doing. It's really just sad and depressing to hear how prevalent this is. But I want to create awareness for this organization. And I want my book to be a tool for education on you know, the, the content side, but I want it to be a tool for human freedom, not just financial freedom, but human freedom on the profit side. Mm. And remind me the name of the organization again, Love Justice International. And how did you get connected with them? You know, I've got a couple of friends that run a company called N2 Publishing, and they had uh, a speaker come out. I was doing some consulting for their company and I was at one of their national conferences and they had vetted this group. They've been investing uh, or, or, you know, supporting this company, this, this organization for quite some time. And I got a chance to meet them and, and hear their story, meet their team. And I've just been so impressed with what they're doing. Awesome. Love it. So you guys heard that. Go to the lifestyleinvestor.book.com to get your free copy, just pay for shipping, you cheap fucks. 
um, dude, I love that we did this. Thanks for coming on. This Thanks is so great. Me. Thanks. I'm, and I, there's so much more for us to talk about. We're going to do it offline though. I like it. Let's Lots do it. Lots to learn. And in fact, we're going to have you on my show. So there's a lot more that, uh, that people can learn about you. That's Maybe right. some things they don't know about you yet. I'm sure there will be. All right. Much love, brother. Thank you. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. <laughs>